0: everyone so I'm here with Carlotta Brenton who is an actor audiobook narrator producer and director of theater and a longtime friend of mine and I was so excited to talk to her because she balances so many things in her life and also is really excellent at all of them (laughs) so I was hoping to get some tips and tricks and start by asking the question that I always ask everyone which is you know what's on tap for you today what are you doing today well, hello. So
1: excited to talk in this uh, official capacity and to unofficially catch up. Actually, this whole week, I think, is um, exemplifies what you just said that I, I don't know, did you say I bounce between a lot of things or I balance a lot of balance, things? Balance, balance. Either way, that I think they both apply. So I am starting a new book that I'm recording today from my home studio that I'm narrating. I'm also going into a studio later on in the day to record some educational programs that I do the rest of the week I am working on a translation of a play that I've been commissioned to translate I'm in callbacks in person for the play I'm directing this fall which is so exciting and I'm doing some work for my audiobook publishing company Fabler so that's from home so a little bit of everything
0: I'd love to just get a little info on how you approach narrating an audiobook, because I started to think about it. I was like, I actually have no idea yeah. the process that goes into that.
1: Yes. Okay. So literally, you're going to have to cut me off because I can talk about audiobooks for about 25 hours straight. <laughs> so um, so you get a book. Usually, you will either audition for a book or the publishers have already sent your demo to an author for approval. And so you get asked, are you available? Do you want to do this book? Sometimes you get the script at that point, or sometimes you just get a link to like a Goodreads page or publisher page on their website to find out enough about whether you're interested you want to do it when it's actually time to record you'll either be recording it from your home studio which is happening these days for the majority of books or you'll be going into a studio an outside studio and there you'll have an engineer sometimes you'll have a director connected whereas when you're working from home most of the time it's just you engineering yourself directing yourself But the first thing you definitely would do is definitely read the book. I really approach it similarly to any other piece of acting. So, you know, you wouldn't go on stage on opening night having not read the play. (laughs) Um, And you also wouldn't start to tell a story without knowing where the author is going, where the story is going, you know? There's so much wealth in things that are revealed to the reader as and when that you want to know ahead of time so you can know, am I supposed to be showcasing this or hiding this? And what are the things that are unsaid, but that I can now understand having read the whole book? But I will read the whole book and either annotate. I heard in one of your podcasts episode talking about the iPad with a pen that you write on. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yes, I use that every single day. I pull the PDF of the book up on my iPad, go through, and what I like to mark, I will highlight any words that I don't know how to pronounce that I have to look up. And then in a different color, I will highlight any names that For example, if it's a fantasy book, the author may have made up a bunch of names, and so only the author would know how to say them. So I highlight in a different color ones that I know I'm going to have to collate and send to the publisher to send to the author to ask for their input. And then similarly to how I mark my theater script, I write. Every time, especially towards the beginning of a book, that information is revealed that is factual about our main character or anything important to the plot, I make a little note. I write GC that stands for Given Circumstances. You know, when an author goes, we're in the scene and then they zoom out and, you know, they go back into the character's thoughts or the past. I like to mark, you know, out and in, make little notes like that to remind me to get back into the moment or to take a step back. After I finish each chapter, I go back to the start of the chapter. I note the key points of plot points that happen in that chapter because sometimes i'm prepping these books a few weeks before i'm actually recording them so i make sure that by the time i get back in the studio i come up on a chapter and i know exactly what's going to happen in that chapter i find that as with every type of acting the more prepared you are the more then you can be free and creative and connected in the moment because you're not stepping out and thinking about the logistics of the story or about the words that you're pronouncing you're just in the story so as with every i'm a big you know Preparer, is that a word? Mm -hmm. So as I think I approach audiobook narration in a similar way, love to be prepared, love to do the prep, love to do the research, love to set myself up to then be able to be free, forget about all the technical stuff and just perform.
0: No wonder you won so many awards for your audiobook narration. (laughs) It just sounds like you have such an innate sense of what an author's intention is, what they're trying to do. How much interaction do you have with the author themselves?
1: I always wish for more. And, you know, I was always such a huge, huge, huge reader my whole entire life. You, you'd be hard pressed to find any photos of me as a kid where I'm not reading in any and all settings and circumstances. Aww. So it's just incredible to, to get to put the acting background together with the book reading and narrating. It's terrific. And I love authors. I'm so enamored with the work that all authors do. And I love it. So I'm a big fan. I, I would say the least amount of contact you can have is. If you're just reading through the book, putting together this list I mentioned of words like, you know, do you want me to say the name Kara, like Kara or Kara, and things like that? You know, you mentioned this accent. Do you want me to do this accent? I will send my questions to the producer and then they will send it on to the author. And then what I get from the author will be either uh, an email where they've written down, okay, phonetically, this is how I'd like you to say this. And these are the answers to your questions. Or sometimes, which I love, I get a voice memo. They record themselves saying the name, which is terrific. Um, I've had situations which I've loved in which I've gotten to Zoom with the author and the director of a book before we start. That's just been really terrific because you get to hear, you know, just a little more about is there anything specific that you want me to underplay or to highlight or your inspiration from certain characters? Because in my case, I work... 100% of the time through publishers, I get hired from publishers. There is a huge section of the audiobook industry where people work directly with self-published indie authors. Um, and in that case, those narrators have way more contact with the authors. So, I mean, they're hired directly by the authors. So they will be sending them full kind of questionnaires maybe that the authors fill out, even down to like, if you had to cast a famous person in the role of your leading character, who would it be? And the the authors are much more involved in in an indie and self-published scenario.
0: And you mentioned accents, which I know is one of your many talents. And so how many accents have you been asked to do over the years? Also, you speak multiple languages. So does that come into play as well with your narration?
1: Oh, 100%. I speak Italian as as my native language, and I speak French fairly fluently and a little bit of Spanish. So I'm doing Italian all the time. I'm doing French a lot. I mean, I've narrated a book where the the entire narration, not just character dialogue, but the entire narration was first-person Bulgarian accent. German comes up a lot for me because I'm telling a fair amount of World War II stories so that you'll have your French, you'll have your German. Polish and Russian come up quite a lot. Basically any European accent, you name it, and I've narrated some characters in it. That's another part of the job that I really love. So how
0: long does it take to narrate a book? Because it takes a long time to read a book uh, just as a reader. So what does a day's session look like for you?
1: let's say like a an average adult fiction book that you're maybe looking at like 300 400 pages will be the audiobook anywhere between 9 to 14 hours of completed audio the conventional wisdom is or you know when people are trying to book studios or look at averages is that it takes a narrator 2 hours in the studio to get 1 hour of finished audio done so it's a, a two-to-one ratio. And I would say usually takes me a little less than that in the studio. But then you have your days when, you know, your mouth and your brain and your creative uh, uh, impulses are all working together and you're just flying through material and you're so connected. And then there's days when you start the book and you try to say chapter one and it takes you 25 times, (laughs) 25 (laughs) tries (laughs) because you keep getting it wrong. So, you know, that's why it kind of averages out around two to one. Generally, I like to start recording first thing in the morning for a number of reasons, including if I'm working from home, you know, the possibility that New York City will throw me a curveball and somebody will be... Drilling right outside my window is not insignificant, so I try to start as early in the day as possible. I'll get up at six, I'll do my warm ups, and I'll start at seven. And then I tend to do—I try to do about fifty minutes of recording and take a ten-minute vocal break, and do that about five shifts. I target usually getting two and a half hours of finished audio done a day, between two and two and a half. You can average out like a book a week, for example. When you go into a studio, however, you are working a ten-to-five day. So you're taking a lunch break and then you're taking a couple of breaks. You tend to get more audio done, but you have a full day, whereas I tend to usually stop recording around 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. when I'm at home and leave the afternoons for all the rest of the uh, creative pursuits that I'm going after.
0: Yeah. So speaking of those creative pursuits, you know, you said you were in callbacks for a play that you're directing this fall. How are you keeping those balls rolling at the same time of narrating?
1: Yes. So this is so exciting. So I don't know if you remember the play that I co-directed and was in Lord back in 2018. Myself and the author have been collaborating for about 10 years and a lot of that time has been spent on this one play called Vatican Falls, really based around the Catholic sex abuse scandal. We've presented in so many different avenues, readings, workshops. The play's finally seeing its world premiere at the Tank in October and November. We've been deep in pre-production, so hiring the design team and he and I co-direct together and work really well together. It's really, really great to have a creative partner with very complementary and different skill sets. And we have been working with a casting director. It's a big cast, 10 actors, you know, which is a lot for a off-Broadway piece. We've been watching self-tapes that she's been getting as the casting director through the summer. So it's all been remote. And then finally, we're getting in the room to do these in-person callbacks and uh, see actors in the flesh. You know, everybody will be masked, but we all be in the same room, which is very exciting. I'm actually in this play as well. But for now, I'm definitely just in the director, in the co-director's seat. It's just completely different. You know, I adore voiceover work and narration work so so deeply but the one thing that it doesn't really lend itself to is collaboration a lot of the time it's solitary work in a padded quiet room I'm talking you know softly into a microphone imagining it's somebody's ear that you're telling a story to but what theater really gives me and why I'm so excited to get back to the interaction with people and the creation together and the collaboration and I'm very much an introvert but I definitely am yearning for some in-person collaboration.
0: So you have waited, you know, 10 years to get this show up on its feet. Mm -hmm. What are your goals for this production?
1: You know, in every case, obviously, you're putting something up. You're like, I want to sell tickets. I want people to see our art. But I think we really want to share this story with as many people as possible. It's a piece that just every time we've put it in front of an audience, whether it was even a reading back when it used to be three hours, that's a tall order, sitting through a three-hour reading of a play. Now it's two hours, by the way. It just resonated with people so strongly because of the subject matter and also just because of how it flashes backwards and forwards across the decades. I think every character is really vivid and really flashed out, and it's just a really powerful piece and uh, I think very unique. It's almost like a thriller in genre and there's a lot of dark comedy in it. I've seen it evolve and of course because it's based on things that have been in the news over the last 10 years, the play has changed so much to actually incorporate as new things um, have come out about the subject as people have been fired or prosecuted or have come out with stories of particularly egregious cases of abuse. And I've seen this play get sharper and sharper until I think now every single line and word is so purposeful. We really just, I think, want to do justice to the stories. A lot of them are based on real events and real cases of survivors of abuse. Just really tell the stories in in a way that is going to to communicate
0: something to the audience. Between your directing work, your narrating, your translating and everything else, you are a very organized person. I feel like I know this about you. Do you have any specific tools that you use on a day-to-day basis to keep life running a little more smoothly?
1: Just like a massive Airtable spreadsheet.
0: <laughs> oh, you're an Airtable person.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like it's. it feels so good to not have to hold information in my brain. I have a gigantic Airtable with all these different sheets that, you know, I watched a little bit of their tutorials. It wasn't super intuitive to me when I started using it like two years ago. But it keeps track of everything I'm recording, what stage it is in of the process, the genre, the author, the publisher who produced it, when, the fee, did I record it from home or from a studio, which studio was there a director, and all of those things. Airtable works, I think, similarly to a lot of other programs, but these records are each interconnected with, for example, a a publisher worksheet, which is like my pride and joy, where I keep track of everybody in 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 the industry. Do I hear them give a talk on club house did I do a zoom class with them did I meet them in person you know and I get to write in when I met them what they said when did I last reach out to them because that's an aspect where I have to say I am very organized and doing like every two to three months emailing everybody on my list individually and mentioning you know what new things have been up to narration wise any great reviews that have come out any new genres that I'm working on um, and keeping in touch that way, which has been, I mean, my narration work has really boomed during the pandemic. So it has had to rely largely, if not exclusively, on digital communication and the very occasional in-person um, networking event that has started happening. But I do relate a little bit to um you had somebody who mentioned how, you know, we are can we can be resistant to even telling ourselves what to do. Mm-hmm. We try and set to strict schedules. And I really feel that way, I tried so many times, like, from this time to this time, I'm going to do this. From this time to this time, I'm going to do that. Stick to this exact schedule. My entire being immediately is like, no. Really? It's like, you did not want to have a job where somebody was telling you what to do all the times also because of this. So usually, as I mentioned, I will structure my days to have narration in the morning, so that tends to be a constant. Then in the afternoons, I do tend to free flow between things. That seems to be the way that works best. So once I've recorded from home in my studio, I pack my bag, I go to a coffee
0: shop, and I work there the rest of the day, and that seems to help. For people who aren't super familiar with the home studio booth, Mm -hmm. how big is this little area that you spend multiple hours a day in? It is extremely small.
1: It was a walk-in closet that we then built uh, sound panels for and sound treated the whole space. I am bad with American measurements, but it's like one meter by like two or something. Like it's... It's very, very tiny. Are you reading off of your iPad or your your laptop? I have a monitor in the studio that is wired to a computer that's outside the studio. And then I have my microphone, my sound interface. I have a chair. I like to sit. Some people stand, but I definitely sit. Uh, And, you know, a wireless mouse and keyboard that's all connected to the computer that's outside. And I'm really in a tiny, tiny space. So that presents a whole slew of challenges in the summertime when it is basically like recording from a sauna. So that's. Right. And you Um,
0: can't have a fan in there.
1: I have a tiny little fan that I turn on when I, you know, in between chapters, I put my feet in an ice bath and I have ice packs that I put under my feet. I have this like neck ice pack thing made especially that you put around your neck. Sometimes I'll have, like, frozen sports towels that I put around myself. Uh, it's kind of an endurance sport in the summer months. Oh, my I'll blast, gosh. <laughs> I'll blast the AC in the room that the studio is in for, like, 10 minutes at a time to really cool the room down. And then I'll turn it off, record, and then try not to forget to open the door and, and breathe and and cool off sometimes. So
0: you must really be looking forward to winter.
1: Yes. In the winter,
0: it's so nice. It's, like, the warmest room in the house, the coziest. You've blown my mind. <laughs> this is This is so wild. <laughs> Um, Because also you have to, like, beyond keeping yourself cool, you have to protect your voice, right? So are you, I mean, thank you for doing this podcast with me today. But otherwise, during the day, are you protecting your voice or are you doing things the day before if, you know, you're going to record the following day?
1: Yes, definitely. I actually, because I, the amount of hours I spent narrating and working with my voice snowballed so Enormously from 2020 on. And I thought, you know, I went to acting school, I did voice and speech, I did singing classes, I did all that. Like, I know how to use my instrument. I'm sure I'll be fine. But I had never actually put my instrument under such continuous every single day recording, recording, recording. And so I definitely had some vocal issues last year and worked with a speech pathologist for a few months to actually. Unlearn some habits that I didn't realize I had and that really became evident when I was suddenly spending six hours a day Talking. So now I have all of this. I have this very specific series of warm ups that the speech pathologist introduced over the course of six months. So I do those every morning before I record. I try to do those in bits and pieces when I'm taking breaks, but I also try and take these sort of vocal naps. So I'll record 45 or 50 minutes and then not say a word for 10 minutes after that, just to let everything kind of settle and not dissipate any tension. So those are really, really key. And I'm not somebody who's usually really good at like taking the small, steps that you don't see results for right away but if you don't do them for a month you will see the negative results so i've really had to embrace you know i have to do this warm-up i have to do a 20-minute warm-up before i record otherwise the day is going to be difficult and it's going to snowball into the rest of the week and then drinking like unimaginable amounts of water to be really hydrated you can hear mouth pops and clicks on your mic if you haven't done that I Yeah, I have to eat something every three hours on the dot. Otherwise, my stomach will literally, as a Swiss clock, will start making noise and be like, you can't record. you get got to oh eat my something. Gosh. It's honestly
0: incredible. I could set my watch by it. Well, obviously I had no idea about the intricacies of recording an audiobook and now I am even more in awe of you than I was before because between the ice packs and the um the every three hour snacks.
1: Know, it's more of a physical uh activity. Than you're animal. Yes. I know I do think that. I'm like, ah oh, yes. All right. I'm an athlete I've got this frozen sports towel I'm like yeah getting in the (laughs) booth and doing this marathon
0: well I think a lot of people are going to be able to have some takeaways for their own work life and how you can kind of find these things to support all of the work that you're doing even if you're not in a sound booth in your own apartment thank you so much Carlotta this was so great to catch up and hear a little bit more about what you're doing and I can't wait to see the play so we'll see you soon I can't wait for you to see it and thank you so much this was so lovely